We are continuing in the, our series uh, called We Believe. I hope that you have been blessed by all that has been shared thus far. And today we will be talking about the church. Amen? I had my introduction to the church at the age of 11, and I've been to different churches. That was a Spanish church. Uh, there was a Spanish church there on Germantown and Indiana that we were invited to. And that's the first place where I saw uh, the gospel bearing fruit, the work of the Spirit. Uh, and that was the first place where I started to uh, get selfish and be complaining about the church. Because, one, because it was like four hours long. Maybe more than that. We were there at 9 o'clock to 4 p.m. What is that? I can't do math. I'm a pastor. Yeah, seven hours. So there you go. So you had the morning service with Sunday school with a jacked up lunch in between. Sometimes it was good when the pastelillos were brought in. And then uh, the, that second half was a worship service that lasted forever, it seemed. And I was really disconnected with what was going on. There were times where I had connection and I was pursuing. I'm like, all right, I could do this Holy Spirit thing, you know. I can get down with Jesus like these guys are. Uh, but that was my first introduction to that. My next introduction to the church was um, what I would call a fun church, right? When a church that lures you in with hot dogs and video games. That's a fun church, right? Uh, and that's where I spent, I, uh, at this church I spent, since I was, I was there from 12 years old to 30, what, 32, 33? I can't, I can't do math. 33 years old till 2018 uh, when I came here. I was at that church. Um, and, you know, throughout the years, you do the church thing, do the culture of the church thing. You learn the Christianese, right, the Christian lingo. I'm washed by the blood of the Lamb. You know, things that would be weird for other people who've never been part of the church to come in and, and hear. Uh, but all the while, in, in every experience that I had with the church, whether it was the Spanish church that was forever long, or a cornerstone that was always fun, and we, this, we wanted to do things that were fun with, they wanted to do things that was fun with us teens, and then we just always, there was always something to do. Um, and so, in these churches, whether it was a long church or the or cornerstone, the fun church, I will call, um, the church has been good to me. They've, it's been good to me. The, the church has always been, you know, um, there as a family for me. The church has always been there as a place where I could learn about Jesus and, and grow in my relationship with him. And... In all those years that I've been part of the church, I've never been disillusioned and thought that the church was perfect because everybody that came in was jacked up. I knew it wasn't perfect because I would go to that church and leave that church and live my life. You know what I mean? So if I was not perfect, then I'm guessing that everybody else that went to this church wasn't perfect. So I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't have my hopes up that everybody was going to be perfect and this and that. But uh, what, I've, what I've come to these days is that the more the more that I engage in the deeper life of faith with Jesus the more I appreciate what he appreciates and the more uh, 
I remember a, a time where, where the thought shifted from being entertained at church, from complaining about stupid things in the church, to really understanding and seeing how beautiful the church is to Jesus. Because when you have the perspective that Jesus has about the church, then that changes how you approach the church, how you walk in the midst of the church, how you are part of a church. Because if you think about it, the church is, um, is the people, as we'll see later on. You know, I'm getting ahead of myself, getting off script here. But everybody knows that the church is the people, it's not the building. You know, in the New Testament, they met in houses, but they were still called the church. You understand? Uh, they met at, by the river, and they were still called the church. You know what I mean? The whole point is, is that they were a people that gathered together. But one of the things that you need to understand is that Jesus loves the church so much that he died for her. And not only did he die for her, like he continues to minister to his church, to make her unblemished, to wash her in the water of his word, as Ephesians says, and to, to take every spot and wrinkle out of it so that we can shine on that day when he comes so that we can be ready for his, his return. So Jesus is coming for a church. So I love the church. That's why I'm a pastor of a church. I'm not the pastor, a pastor, right, um, of, of, of the church. I love um, doing the things that Jesus does and being part of this family. So when we look at the scriptures, we need to understand, let's have a, a biblical foundation of what the church is. Is that okay with you guys? Uh, so in the first mention of the church, the word church is, is used in the Greek. Um, the word church has been used to, to talk about the people of Israel, assemblies. Uh, the word church has been used uh, all throughout the, the years but when it comes to when Jesus comes into the scene, he begins to identify the church as something very specific. So in a sense, Jesus hijacks the church, the word ecclesia, and he makes it what he wants it to be. And he gives a meaning to it because it had that word ecclesia is in the Greek has been used uh, in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. The ecclesia referred to the people of God. Ecclesia referred to um, a group of people that gathered to deliberate. Ecclesia referred to um, a dis even describing a riot of people that would join together. Whatever, whatever group of people joined together to do whatever they were going to do, that was considered an ecclesia. So what does Jesus say? Let's see what he how he defines it. In Matthew 16, 13 through 16, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so the first thing that Jesus brings as we look at this passage, he br brings up the general question. The general question is, who do people say I am? And essentially, in verse 13, what we see is that Jesus is essentially a prophet. And a prophet is someone who's sent of God with messages from God to declare it to people. 
And this is something that, they could, that could be observed, something that they can compare. All right, this dude is operating like a prophet. Where They look at Jesus, see what he's saying, see what he's doing, and they, they, have, uh, they have something to compare it to in the Old Testament times. And they say, all right, he's like Elijah, or he's like, um, what do you call it, Jeremiah. Uh, some say John the Baptist. But essentially what they're saying is that he is what? A, a prophet. But then Jesus brings them in, in verse 15 to ask a pointed question. But who do you say that I am is the pointed question. That's the important one. That's where the conversation is going. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And the answer to this question is important. Peter says, he pipes up in verse 16 and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Where, where before, who do people say that I am? That, that general question uh, could be answered with just an observation. The second question could only be answered by revelation. It's something that, could be, could, that Peter could only come to a conclusion by the help of the Lord. And Jesus says that very thing in verse 17. He answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So there is a, a general question. Who, who do people say that I am? A prophet. There's a pointed question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To be the Christ is to be the Messiah. To be the Messiah is to, to fulfill what they have been waiting for. So they understood, Peter understood in that moment, you are the one we had been waiting for. You are the one, the anointed one that all the prophets had been leading us to and, and preparing us for. You are that one. You are the one that John the Baptist was preparing the way for. The, the one, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. You are that one. You are Jesus Christ or the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. And then he goes on and says, son of the living God. Which often, if you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, when the Lord was speaking to David uh, and through the prophet uh, Nathan, he referred to, to uh, David and his offspring. He said to them, I will make them a son. You will be a son to me. Let me read it real quick. It says, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So to declare that he is the son of the living God is to reiterate something of the Davidic line of a king. So not only is he the anointed one, not only is he the Messiah, he is the king. He is the son of the living God. And to be the living God means to be a God who sees, be a God who hears, be the God who speaks, be the God who touches, be the God who moves. He's not a mute, deaf, uh, he's not a uh, blind, he's not a paralyzed statue that can do nothing. He is the living God. Amen? And so when, they, when Peter answers this, he answers it because the Father has revealed this to him. And so upon this very confession that comes out of revelation, not out of observation, out of revelation, something that you come to understand because of the divine inside of you, or the divine influencing you, that's what revelation is. And so 
in, out of that flows a confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus do with that confession? According to verse 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter. He goes on, prophets like to do play on words, right? Peter means, or is um, Petra, which would mean a stone, okay? Remember the parable of the, what is the parable of, goodness, I don't even remember. So you can't remember because you're not in my head. <clears throat> the wise builder, the one who puts the word of God into practice, right? He builds his life upon the foundation of the word of God, right? This is the same word, Petra, uh, is, is then is brought up here. Jesus says, you are not a stone, verse 18. You are not just a stone. Sorry, you are a stone. And on this rock, rock means a gigantic rock, something that you could build on, something that you can, uh, that, that is foundation to hold a structure. So think of a massive boulder versus a small rock, a massive cliff versus a small rock. So Peter, out of Revelation, declares something worthwhile, and Jesus says, upon that confession, upon that rock, I will build my church. So this is the definite, the, the very first, um, the very first mention of the word church that Jesus brings a definition to it, and and what I want to propose today. Well, let's keep reading and then I'll go. Uh, verse nineteen says, "I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So not only is he going to build his church, but this church is going to have some sort of authority. Authority to bind things on earth, that bind things in heaven. Authority to loose things on earth and loose things in heaven. This is something that Jesus is producing. That he says, I will build my church. So he takes this confession and says, this is the very foundation of what the church is. The confession is the foundation. So, my goodness, the church is the people who, people. the people who confess, belong to, and advance the kingdom of Jesus. The working definition that I'm going to go with, I think this is simple. The church is the people who confess, belong to, and advance the kingdom of Jesus. Like, like uh, Peter, the confession was, you are the Christ the son of the living God. So let me just talk about the people first. To be a people, to be a people means uh, to be called out. The word ecclesia, that's what it means. It means to be called out. That's where we get our word ecclesiology from. Um, and so to be called out is a simple, literal translation of ecclesia, called out. So the people of God, are the people who have been called out of this world and, and that we get together under one confession. And we, we call out of this world by making a, and we make a confession. So in a sense, the calling is part of, of God revealing who he is to you. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the father draws him. And he says, the, the sheep hear my voice. So there, you cannot be of the people of God without first being called by God. 
And He draws you unto Himself. He draws you by interactions with people. He draws you by a a billboard on the the highway that reminds you that your sin will find you out. Right? I've seen that one a lot. Um, Nothing you do is ever secret. You will be known. The Lord, you will be judged for everything, right? But he uses that to kind of stir us up. Um, he he uh, also uses others to call us out. So you taking the opportunity, or that person that introduced you to Jesus, taking the opportunity to speak to you the message of Christ, the good news of Jesus, is the, me- the means in which God uses to call you out, to mark you, and to call you into and the way that you, uh, you then move into not, to being the people of God is you make a confession about who Jesus is. So I like to look at Romans 10, verse 9 through 10. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses, excuse me, and is saved. So the confession that we make is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how do you move from just believing? Um, you, you, you ha- it's something that we believe, first of all, and it's something that we confess. It has those two components. What do we believe? We believe that God raised him from the dead. What do we confess? That he is the Son of God. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord. So what we do when, we, when, when, when we're called out and we respond to the Lord to make a confession of who Jesus is, what we do essentially is declare his lordship over our lives. And to say that Jesus is Lord is a loaded, loaded word. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that you are king. To say that he is Lord is to say he is master. Which leads us to the conclusion that we are not master and that we are not Lord. So you see kind of the relationship that we have. You can see clearly the relationship that we have with Jesus. He's Lord and I am not. Right? The confession we make is that Jesus is Lord. And what, what is the belief that we have? That God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is absolutely important to salvation. There is no salvation without believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely important. So the people, of, the people who confess Jesus are those who believe and, and believe in their hearts and confess. And they're also the ones, uh, the people who confess Jesus are the ones who are given the Holy Spirit. So it's not enough to just believe true things about Jesus you have, to move, think, you have to move from just believing things about Jesus to confessing who he is. And what he does is then he deposits something inside of you and in me, and that is called the Holy Spirit. The indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, that he takes residence in you and in me. Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. We are, those, those who confess Jesus are also ones who um, are given the Holy Spirit, are baptized into one body. And so we belong to him, but also we belong 
to one another, which leads to our second point. So the church is the people who confess Jesus, and it's also the people who belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus. You have been bought at a price. You are not your own. You belong. You declare, Jesus, you are Lord. You belong to him. You are his possession. No longer your possession. The church is a people who confess Jesus and belong to Jesus. And the beauty of of belonging to Jesus, he says in Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, upon this rock I will build my church. Whose church is it? Jesus' church. So um, when you refer to this place as my church, right, you're just, you're, you're identifying yourself with the local body of Christ here. What is more appropriate, right, would be to say, I belong to Jesus' church, which then connects you to all of the churches in the world, all of the local churches in the world. So to belong to Jesus means that not only do you belong to the universal church of which he is the head, Ephesians chapter 1 says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the church is a people who belong to Jesus and he fills it. He fills it through and through. And he is the head of it. I find it interesting that for every image that we have that compares us, for every image of the church, for example, the bride, the body, the flock, of those three things, Jesus is always the one supreme over that. For the bride, he is the groom. For the house, or sorry, for the, what did I say? For the body, he is the head. You think of your body, you have no head, you have no life, right? For everything that the church is, or what image he is, Jesus is the, 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 the supreme part of that, that structure. For the flock of God, he is the good shepherd. You understand? So it's, we, we not only confess Jesus, but we belong to him. We are so intricately intertwined with who Christ is. And that's why your, uh, your life and your godliness is absolutely important. That's why he's grieved. That's why the Holy Spirit is grieved when we go and, and sin. Because we're so intertwined. We're so connected with God. His life is in us. We have died, it says, and, and he now lives through us. We belong to him. We are his church. So Jesus has a worldwide church. It's called the universal church. Or in, in one of the creeds that we looked at not long ago, it talks about how he is the, 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 the what is it, the Catholic church. Right? We're not talking a Roman Catholic. We're talking Catholic. Meaning that word is, is uh, defines universal. That in all of the world, from every tribe, tongue, people, language, and nation, Jesus has people there and they are part of the church. The church. And now Jesus also has small c church, local church. You understand? So it's structured that way. Wherever the apostles went... I find it interesting that wherever they went and they preached the gospel, 
what resulted out of preaching the gospel was a community that started to, to revolve and live its life around the gospel of Jesus. And so Jesus didn't leave, uh, when these, these communities gathered together, he didn't leave them to fend for themselves. In fact, Paul says to, um, to Titus in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 5, he says, this is why I left you in Crete. Titus is uh, receiving a letter from Paul, and he's in Crete. And the reason why he left them there was so that he would appoint elders in every town as he directed. So it follows in the scripture as we read it, that not only is Jesus the head of the, the universal church, there exist also local churches, regional churches, right? Regional and even local. So we are part of the regional church of Philadelphia that belongs to Jesus. And, and we are... Uh, we get to be a church in this part of Jesus's church in the Wissanomen section of Philadelphia. And we get to be called True Vine. You understand? So we're part of a big church, part of a regional church, and then part of a neighborhood church in a city. And this church is organized. The local church is organized. Wherever they went, they gathered um, the, those who believe in the Lord Jesus, they gathered under qualified leadership. The reason why there's qualified leadership is because the Lord wants you to, uh, the Lord wants, wants you to understand that there are people who have oversight over you and have a responsibility to care for you. So qualified leadership is important. Why? So that you would be cared for and that you would be, there would be oversight over you. So wherever these churches gathered, they gathered under qualified leadership. Namely, as you read through the scriptures, you have apostles appointed by Christ. And then later on after that, wherever they went, they appointed what? Elders, or another word for elders would be overseer. Or another word for elder would be, uh, what is it? Bishop, and another word for elder would be pastor. Yes. Right? So interchangeably throughout Scripture, the Greek word presbuteros, which would mean, uh, would be used for elders or overseers. Sorry, bishop would be used for overseers. And also um, poimen, the Greek word poimen would be used for pastors. These three terms were used interchangeably to refer to elders. And elders are the ones who preside over the church, not to rule and oppress, but to exercise oversight, to help the people not fall into false doctrine that leads to a derailed faith, that leads to the deceitfulness of sin, right? The, the elders of the church help in that matter. That's why, why you have elders in your church, to exercise oversight, not domination, not dominion, but oversight. To care for you. And the other thing that we see unfolding in scripture when the local church is organized, we see deacons arise. And in, in Acts, they were called to be ones who were filled with the Holy Spirit. They believed in Jesus and were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were tasked, the deacons were tasked with those who, uh, with the work of caring for the body. Helping those who had need, feeding those who were hungry, orphans, widows, under the 
jurisdiction of the deacons. Understand? And so this, and for everyone, for elders or deacons, or even apostles, there were qualifications. And if you want to take the time, maybe write this scripture down. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, gives us what are the qualifications for what an elder is, and what a qualification for what a deacon is. So I would encourage you to, to study that, to read that, and, and give your life to that, because that's not just the elders' jobs to be, right? Your job is not to look at that scripture and say, oh, this, this elder falls, uh, doesn't meet that qualification. That Really, take that list and look at yourself first. <laughs> and when we're choosing, uh, because occasionally we choose elders and we elect um, elders from our congregation, those are the qualifications that you need to be looking at. You don't want someone who is greedy. You don't want someone who is sleeping around. You don't want someone who is... Uh, who is angry and quarrelsome, you don't want that kind of leader over you, do you? Right? So it would do you and all of us good if all of us were on the same page of what the qualifications of an elder was and what a qualification of a deacon is. That way, when it comes time, you're not nominating someone that's disqualified. You understand? And so I, the, the church always gathers or um, is organized uh, under qualified leadership. And that's absolutely important. The other thing that is a benefit of belonging to, uh, what, what point are we on? Yes, belonging to Jesus is his church. Um, the other thing that Jesus has done to give uh, for the church is that he's given those who would equip us for ministry. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of what? Who's being equipped here? The saints. For the work of? Ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal of, of, of these things, of these offices, I would say, that the Lord has appointed over the church is so that we would all attain to the fullness of Christ. Do we want the fullness of who Jesus is in our midst? Do, do you want to be equipped and trained for ministry? Then the Lord has given these very people for you uh, to be equipped for the ministry. It's not just the elders and the pastors who do the ministry. It's not the pastors, the elders, or the deacons that are in charge of the deacons, or sorry, of the ministry that, that happens to the church and to the world. The Lord also has given spirit empowered and gifted believers. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And the manifestation of the Spirit looks like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you continue reading in 1 Corinthians 12, you get a whole list of, of what this manifestation of the Spirit looks like. But it's always, all of the gifts of the Spirit are always used for the common good of the body. Right? So if, I, if there's a person who has the gift of healing, <coughs> excuse me, they don't have the gift of healing so that they could 
we can take a picture of them, put them on the wall and say, he's our healer. No, you have the gift of healing so that you might go and pray for people to be healed. That's for the common good. You have the gift of encouragement so that you might open your mouth and encourage somebody in a hard moment of their life. You have the gift of, of a word of knowledge so that you might uh, reveal a mystery of what God is saying or doing in someone's life. You have wisdom so that you can help people navigate uh, through certain areas of their lives. You understand? And so all of the gifts of the Spirit are never to be used to be selfish and self-absorbed. They're to be used for the common good of the body. And so this is part of what belonging to Jesus is. To, you belong to Jesus and He brings you to become part of a local expression of His church. The universal church is expressed locally in this and, it's, and we gather under qualified leadership. Absolutely important. And not only do we gather under qualified leadership, the way that we receive care is by one another exercising the gifts of the Holy Spirit that He has given to us. Whether it be the amazing ones like miracles, signs, wonders, healings, and prophetic words, right? Or administration, all of them are necessary. Encouragement, mercy, all of, all of the gifts of the Spirit are necessary. And you need to know I love what our church does when it comes to praying for, for the sick. And someone asked at district conference, uh, Pastor Jim and I and a group of us were at our district conference for the CMA in the Eastern PA. And someone asked the question, uh, do you have like a, a prayer ministry team that prays for healing and administers? And, and Jim's response was, no, the, the whole church is. We don't have a specific team that prays for healing. You are the team. You are the, the people that we want to mobilize to do the ministry. That's why the equipping sessions are not just something that we want you to come to to add something else to your schedule. The equipping sessions are for that very purpose, so that you will be equipped for the work of ministry, so that you might participate and in, in bringing about the fullness and maturity of Jesus in our church. See that. You are essential. You are important to the body of Christ. You're not here by chance. You're here by, by God's purpose for the season of your life that you're in. Amen? But you need to join into that. And part of the qualified leadership is to exercise care. over the, over the uh, we, we not only provide oversight, but we assume the role that Jesus would have us assume, and that's the role of a shepherd that we want to protect. So if there's people in our church that come with deceitful doctrines, we're going to confront that. If there are people that come to our church who, who want to exploit others, then we're going to confront that. And our job is, is to do that and be very pointed and careful about that, right? Because we recognize that among us there are weak and vulnerable but those who are strong should stand up for them. Amen? And so we will do that. If there's any hint of somebody exploiting anyone, any hint of anyone uh, falling into false doctrine, we're going to talk about that. Amen? And you could come kicking and screaming, that's okay, but that's our job. You know what I mean? Uh, because that's the Lord has put us as shepherds of this, of this church, and we will do it uh, in the grace of Jesus. 
in the love of Christ, right? Uh, but fiercely when we need to. Amen? I didn't hear a lot of amens for that, but that's okay. So, the people of God, uh, the church is the people who confess, the people who belong to Jesus, and finally, the people who advance the kingdom of Jesus. And Matthew 28, there's no other scripture, I mean, there's plenty of other scripture that tells us what our mission is, but Jesus was very clear with his disciples what he wanted them to do. He says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to go and make disciples of all nations. Interestingly, what's our vision as a church? We want to make disciples that sustain revival. Boom. If you're ever wondering what it is, it's right here. That's our vision. Make disciples that sustain revival. Does this line up with what Jesus commanded his apostles to do? Absolutely. And so the, the important thing is that we want to make new disciples, right? We want to go out and proclaim the, the gospel of Jesus. That's how the kingdom is advanced. You go and proclaim. You take the moments that the Lord gives you to be the one, to, that, the instrument that calls people out, right? The ecclesia. You are part of that mouthpiece of the Lord to call people out, and he will gather them to belong to, to him in this local body or in another local body. I love that uh, this past, not this Saturday, but two, uh, Saturday before, we gathered with uh, three other churches in our community, and we did a prayer walk. And whenever we were closest to that church, I, I hope, at least I, it was my intention, that we, uh, we recommended, we prayed for people in that area, and we recommended the church that was closest to them. Even though we were Truvine, we recommended uh, Wissanoming Bible Fellowship Church. Even though we're Truvine, we recommended Grace City on Benner Street. Even though we're Truvine, we recommended Crossroads, Right? Because we're not just here to develop our own empire of making disciples that sustain revival, and no one else can do it. That's not what we're doing, right? We, we are the unified body of Christ that we belong to Jesus. And when, when, when we could unite around the essential things and do ministry in that way, we could. I, I was just encouraged that we were able to encourage people, work together first as three. I talked to somebody the other day about them, they're like, wow, I, we can't even get other churches in our neighborhood to do this, right? Because everyone's territorial and has their own kingdom and empire in mind. But when you have, when Jesus changes your mind about his church, you're not, you're not so like T-Rexing with your church. You know, like, uh, I don't want to give, you know what I mean? I don't, don't want to tell anyone to go anywhere else. This is my church and blah, blah, blah. No, we were down in Kensington, yesterday, and we had to do an impromptu uh, prayer walk and distribution of food because the police kicked us off of the corner that we uh, normally go to. Um, but there was a woman that we stopped to pray with, and she didn't live in that neighborhood. She lived close to uh, 17th and Diamond, so I recommended a church there, Epiphany Fellowship. Yeah, I I'm like, this church is, is great. They love Jesus. They're, uh, they're all about Jesus, so go there. You understand? 
We're not trying to attract everyone to True Vine because, you know, we need to meet our budget. <laughs> we need to get, get more givers uh, or anything like that. We, we want the kingdom of God to be advanced. And part of equipping you is to do the very thing. If you ever feel, if you ever feel like you don't know how to share the gospel, then, you need, then that's your clue that you need to learn how to. And be, be transparent about that. Though no one expects you to know things that you don't know, right? If you don't know how to do it, then let's ask. And then part of our job is to train you in to do that. That's, that's what we want to do. If you want to learn how to pray for those for healing, we want to train you in that. If, we want, if you want to learn how to study the Bible, we want to train you in that. You understand? All of the things that we do. And I think that for the equipping sessions that we had in the past, they're recorded and on the, on the website. You could always go back and listen to that. Amen? We want to be kingdom advancing people. We want to do what Jesus did. And this is what he said his disciples should do. The kingdom of heaven said, go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. <clears throat> raise the dead. Cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You receive without paying. So give without paying. Pay. That's our job description, to be proclaimers of the gospel <clears throat> and also to expect the signs of the kingdom to follow us wherever we go. We need to expect that. And so this is the church. The church is the people who confess, belong to, and advance the kingdom of Jesus. So the question is, are you part of this church? Are you part of Jesus' church? Don't confuse church attendance with belonging to the kingdom because that's not the case. Have you confessed your loyalty to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, you are Lord? Do you believe in your heart that he rose again, that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again on the third day? Have you confessed that to him? That's how you move into um, to being part of the people who are called out and belonging to Jesus, right? And, and consequently, that's how you get equipped to become a kingdom advancer for Jesus, right? Because we believe, and the moment we believe, we receive Holy Spirit, and we receive more Holy Spirit, and we receive more Holy Spirit, and we receive more Holy Spirit, all to the end of advancing the kingdom of Jesus. That is the church. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we bless you, and we are grateful, Lord, for your, great, for your death on the cross and for your resurrection and for your intentionality, Lord, that when you ascended into heaven, you didn't leave the world without witnesses. You didn't leave the world without those who would operate in the power of your Holy Spirit so that many more throughout the ages, could be called out and become part of your church. As members of this local church, Lord, we, we want to submit to you, Jesus. We want you, O oh Lord, to lead us. We recognize that we belong to you. And we recognize, O oh Lord, that all we do is to advance your kingdom. Advancing your kingdom in our lives. <clears throat> advancing the kingdom in others' lives, Lord. So we need you, Holy Spirit. I pray that the church would arise today 
and not be selfish or self-centered, but that we recognize that the gifts you have given us are for the common good. I pray, O Lord, that in this church you would weed out those who do not belong to you. Lord, first bring them into your kingdom. We want that. But those who are intentional about doing harm to this church, Lord, we ask that you would remove them in the name of Jesus. Bring them to repentance and move them in your grace, Lord. We ask for your continued discernment over the leaders of this church as we exercise oversight of this church, Lord. And we we pray over the members of our church, Lord, and those who attend. Your word says that they should look at their leaders and imitate their faith. So we ask, Lord, that the leaders of our church, all of us, Lord, would have a faith that is worth imitating. So help us in that, sustain us in that, Lord. And I ask that your church will be empowered uh, for the, the common good of one another, Lord. And so that the world would know you. So that there will be more called out ones to be joined, uh, joining our church and other churches in our city. We bless Philadelphia <clears throat> and we recognize, O oh Lord, our place. Your word says that whatever we bind on earth, we bound in heaven and loose on earth. And so we bind uh, violence in the name of Jesus and we loose your peace over our city. We bind extortion, corruption in the name of Jesus, and we, uh, we loose integrity over our city, Lord. We bless this city. And in our church, O oh Lord, um, we want the sin that so easily entangles us to be put off so that we could run after you, Jesus, together. We love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite you to enjoy some fellowship with us. There will be some refreshments up shortly. Uh, talk with one another. Pray with one another. Use your gifts with one another if the Lord has so led you today. Amen. God bless you.